0: Love music. Live sport. Let's hear it for the girls with Maureen McGonagall and special guests on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening. It's Tuesday night and it's Rock Sport Radio, so this must be Let's Hear It For The Girls. Um, I'm Maury McGonagall and tonight it's a great pleasure to have Margaret McQuig with me in the studio. Now, just hold on to hear what Margot is. Margot's a writer, a filmmaker, a mother and a grandmother. And she creates some very emotional documentaries on some of her best-loved sporting icons. So, welcome, Margot. Welcome to me and welcome to you, (laughs) Maureen. Thank you very much much for having me. Don't think anybody's ever welcomed me. That's really kind of you. You're welcome. Um, So, before we hear a wee bit more about your work and your life in general... Will you take some time to look back in uh, this week's sporting events for women in sport? Brilliant, sounds good. So, going to start with athletics. It's the big thing that's happening, and uh, the biggest debate around the World Championship in Doha is not actually on the track, but it's with the lack of spectators um, to support the athletes, which is, and I think, a
1: state of the art arena. What's your thoughts? Have you seen any of this? Yeah, I've been following all morning. Absolutely loves athletics. So mm. addictive to watch it, um, and it is. It's really disappointing because. You know these are athletes who are at their very peak of their careers you know they, they work so hard to get to this point it's their showcase the world championships and for them to look around that arena that spectacular arena and not see it full with supporters must be really quite deflating you know because the whole stage is really quite flamboyant you know particularly before like the hundred meters they have this fantastic light show it's very dramatic you know you really feel the adrenaline pumping but then you look around and you think my goodness me there's no no one there to share this amazing moment with them. Do you think that has an impact on the athletes and their performance? Um, Well, I think, I mean, not being an athlete myself, it's quite hard, but what, what you do hear athletes talk about how the crowd is an added incentive, you know, like particularly at London 2012, you know, like the, the G, Team GB athletes would say, like, you know, that crowd roared them in, it made them perform to such a high level because they really felt the backing of the supporters. So when that's not there... It must impact a little bit. I mean, obviously, they're not performing to thousands and thousands of spectators day in, day out. But when it's a big event, you know, they must really look forward to having that physical
0: support. Well, they've they've built themselves up for, you know, we're going there. It's going to be great. Crowds are going to be there. And and so that's the the focus they've got in their mind. And then that doesn't happen. Another thing is the the, the heat. Because there was a report on Saturday at the, the midnight. Midnight Women's Marathon, the sweltering conditions caused numerous athletes to collapse. I think there's about 28 out of... Was it about six to eight started?
1: That's right, yeah, I think it was uh, 28. And, and some of the top, top marathon runners um, came out of that race because it, it, it was just too intense. I think it was like 32 degrees at midnight. I mean, I mean first, first of outrageous. all... First of all, you'd ask them to change the body clock to get
0: round to, uh-huh. to getting up and running a marathon at midnight. And then they're having this oppressive heat um I mean, it must be dangerous as well. You would think that there's a bit of a danger there. Um, but I suppose we've we'll, we'll been all doom and gloom, but a wee bit of good news. Yesterday, um, Beth Dolbin actually um, qualified 23.14 seconds. So she's in um, in a fourth place. So I think it'll be really good. And we can look forward to some more Scots in action on Wednesday with Laura Muir and Gemma Ricky both in the 1500 heats, and Elish McHogan in the 5000. And then Saturday, it's the relay heats with Zoe Clark and Beth So there's more to come And hopefully the crowds will pick up But I know it's been a concern I've, I've seen some people um, speaking about it already So hopefully that will pick up um, We're going on to Judo now And to a sc- Two of um, Scotland's top judo athletes have been awarded key financial backing from Sports Scotland from the Athlete Support Programme, which is geared towards the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Sarah Adlington and Sally Khan, we will both benefit from an Athlete Personal Award over the next 12 months, leading to the Tokyo Olympic Games. Both judoka will receive £6,000 as additional support for training, competition and living expenses. And with both athletes currently being self-funded, this award will be invaluable as they work towards the dream of winning an Olympic medal. Now, I know that you did dabble in (laughs) judo as a youngster, so you always keep your eye on something that you did when you were young. But, you know, do we take our athletes for... um, do we take them for granted in terms of everyone thinks of you're up there and we know your name you're up there because you're famous and you're wealthy but you know we're looking at getting £6,000 to help with living expenses
1: because they've got to pay their their own way what's your thoughts there Margot? It's it's really difficult isn't it I mean I, I think you're right I think um you know, we just sort of see these um, athletes getting to the top because of their talent. But, you know, talent isn't the only element that is crucial in, in making it in sport. And, you know, for that, what looks on paper like quite a little amount of money, £6,000, but actually it's really crucial in their development. So it's, it's, it's a shame that there isn't enough in place for athletes because it's brilliant to see so many women doing so well in sport. But... I think we could have more if, you know, investment allowed more people to compete at a higher level. And I think also you take that back to in terms of um, raising
0: awareness and the profile. Again, women in sport are still slightly behind and and that's where the corporate investment comes into the individuals. So, I mean, a little shout out to any corporates that are listening. Give us a shout. We can always put you in touch with a female athlete that would love your support. Um, But it's, it's a kind of sad state of affairs because we revel in the glory when the medals are there. Mm -hmm. Um, but we forget that you know, from year to year it can be a hard slog but anyway, gymnastics is our next um, subject and after a successful summer training and working on new skills Crystal Lake attended a special Scotland squad camp where she worked on more upgrades. She has just completed her first two competitions of the season with great success. Team Silver with her club at the British Team Comp in Guildford and a beam final in 6th place with the Scotland squad in Iceland at the Northern Europeans last weekend so she was the only junior gymnast in the senior team so good start to the season for her. And still in gymnastics and trampoliner Morgan James can't quite believe it but she is a British champion lifting gold at the weekend in the 7 to, 17 to 21 year age group for DMT. Now this is where I have to admit I had to Google DMT Margo. I mean what is DMT? I tried to think of all the words that could Go with it. But DMT gymnasts compete in four passes, two preliminary and two final passes, and each pass consists of two skills. The first performed on either of two target areas on the apparatus, followed by the dismount onto a landing mat. So, you know, so Sounds- don't get it just for turning up. you got to do a bit of work.
1: I absolutely <laughs> take my hat off to any gymnast. I admire them so much. What they do is phenomenal. It's absolutely. crazy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, just just even their floor performances, their bar, everything yeah. is just superb. Uh-huh. Love watching it. Yeah. I even had my Olga Corbett red um, ribbons say, when I was a kid. One of your favourites <laughs> is Olga Corbett. Yeah, yeah. oh I absolutely uh-huh.
0: loved her. But I mean we still go back to that. That was an amazing time, wasn't it? I mean she just
1: whew, The whole family away. glued to watch. Yeah. That. Amazing yeah. times. Um,
0: Well, just to say that Morgan was tweeting and she gave her thanks to her coach at Bankery Trampoline Club and everyone who helped achieve this. So it's always nice to see athletes taking time to thank people, I think. Absolutely. Oh, it's been a great year for golf in Scotland and it continues with Carmen Griffiths, Hannah Darling and Katie Alexander, who were all flying the flag for Scotland at this year's World Junior Girls Championships. So that's their stay in Toronto, Canada over and it was another great learning week for all three girls who Flew the flag for Scotland so well. Last year they finished fifteenth, and this year they moved up to tenth. So that's great progression. And there was also a hole in winter for Hannah Darling. And I um, think you've got a
1: wee story about Hannah. Were you not there? Yeah. Well, it was uh, at well, the, not, in, not in Canada. Not in Canada. Unfortunately, <laughs> exotic that you're not. Oh, it would have been nice. Uh, no, I was at the uh, Junior Solheim Cup. So she was team oh, off. Was like the pink cup? Yes. 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 Uh-huh. So it was really nice to see her and her team like get on their way, and it was lovely watching them because there's a, there was a really lovely. Cup camaraderie between them and obviously they're very, very serious about their sport so good luck to them and I hope they continue to do well. I think, um, if I remember rightly, because I was around about at that time up for the
0: Aberdeen Standard Gender Summit, I think I recall someone saying they loved playing in team events because you know, many times they're on their own, it's quite lonely so having a team event is quite unusual for them so you can see where the camaraderie would come in. Absolutely. But still on golf and it's congrats to Laura Murray who claimed her second L.E.T. access title in Germany at the Rugged Wilder Mool Ladies Open this weekend. Well, I'm so surprised actually. <laughs> I got my tongue round that, Marco. That's well amazing. Done. I know. I always put it down, and then I think I can't say that. Wow, you're rocking it tonight. I'm Morgan. getting there. I'm getting there. So shooting, and it's Shona McIntosh who wins the European Championships gold and equals the world record in 300 meter prone. It's amazing what she's doing. I mean, she was crowned the UWS Sportswoman of the Year last year at her awards dinner. Um, an amazing young woman. Absolutely. Um, and it's just been another fantastic performance from Shona, who's in the running for the Team Scott Award. Awards, Female athlete of the year on the third of October, so um, great. And I also think I've noticed there's a nomination in for this year's Swiss Awards, which is on the eighth of November, and quite rightly so. So um, great to see that. You know, sometimes you feel Margot, you're up there. The only place you can go is come down. But mm. she's managed to sustain that, consistent, um, which is great, isn't it? Now, here's a bit of fun. I don't know if we can tempt you to do some volleyball um, because it's uh, kind of exciting news for as Beach Volleyball host their 2019 end-of-summer season bash with a glow-in-the-dark beach volleyball on Saturday, the 5th of October. So it's on from 7 till 10pm at Portobello Beach and I think everyone's welcome. I mean, it's really £4 to get in for members and £6 for non-members. I think they've got a lot of fun tied up in that day, so we just have to keep our fingers crossed that the weather's oh. have decent... <laughs> You know, beach volleyball in winter, in October. Yeah. I think you might need more than glow sticks. You might need to be Brawly. and a parka. <laughs> oh boots. No, oh, and gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on to football and um yesterday um Glasgow City were drawn against Bron Bay from Denmark in the next of the UEFA
1: UEFA Champions League. Um I think they're the in the last sixteen, last sixteen, yeah. So it's a good draw. I mean, yes, Brunby are. I mean, that they're they're sort of quite consistent appearers in the the latter stages of the Champions League. But I think there are a lot of tougher but, uh, opponents in there. City, really. You know, yeah. they've been
0: there and thereabouts for Absolutely. quite
1: a few occasions. And um, you know, it was it was good to see them in the last thirty-two match. And they they performed really well against the Russians, so they deserve their place in the last 16. But it's not going to be easy, but there they are flying the flag, which is wonderful to see. I mean, they qualified with a 4-1
0: second leg win and they were the sole survivors because Hebs went out 9-2 to Slavia Prague.
1: They did okay though, Uh uh, Maureen. I mean, I know that was a 9-2 scoreline, but... Um, they, they performed really decently in chunks in the in the first leg at home. They just had a really awful sort of six, eight minutes where they lost a lot of goals. But other than that, actually, for a team who lost a lot of their key players, they're actually beginning to perform quite well. Yeah. So I think there's more to come from Hibs. I think that's good. But I think
0: what's interesting is Arsenal, who've got four Scots in their team, have actually been drawn against
1: them. Yeah I know I saw that uh-huh. so that was interesting and I, I was kind of hoping that Glasgow City wouldn't get Arsenal um, you know it'd be a big glamour tie and it'd be really nice to see but um, I'm rooting on them getting through to the quarterfinals, and I'd don't know if Arsenal would have been the team to beat. Well, they did get them before. Remember, a couple of yeah. years
0: ago when Shelly Kerr was the coach for Arsenal? That's right. And that did create a lot of interest, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's. That, I think I agree with you totally there. We'll save them for the final. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I love your confidence. That's that's it. Um, but still, still on to football. And down in England, there was a crowd of just under 25,000 at the West Ham v Spurs women's match at the weekend. I mean, this is in the back of some real great numbers numbers at the opening mm-hmm. uh, games. Um, so hopefully this is a sign of the times. And and do you think you know Scotland's going to benefit? I know that Alba covered the 4 game and they had their sort of um, record crowd of about 435 and again, everything has got to be taken into consideration. Um, we've got some third division games going on week in week out that don't have that, so that's a great exactly. number.
1: Exactly. I think the games that have been shown on BBC Alba um, from the SWPL have actually been married in the sense of increasing crowds as well as the television so it just shows the two of them can work together if the interest is there, if the environment's right and obviously the World Cup's helped that immensely Oh, I think the World Cup has definitely
0: helped, there's no yeah. doubt about that um, On to wheelchair basketball and Robin Love from AIR who's been involved with wheelchair basketball for just around four years, was part of the team who secured their first European Championships final and a place at Tokyo 2020 and I have to say Robin is is a bit of a character she spoke at one of our um, conferences at Early Doors and had absolutely everybody eaten out of her hands so um, good luck to her Excellent. not something we hear much about but fencing it was a silver for Maddie McLaughlin at the Junior National Fencing Championships last weekend she was gutted to have lost the final 14-15 but believed it is still a strong result for the start of the season for her And it's just a wee reminder for everybody, Um, while this week is um, Women and Girls Sports Week, Mm -hmm. um, Friday is actually Active Girls Day, um, and they will be celebrating the amazing work going on into girls' sport, the progress around girls' participation, and the incredible role models making it happen. And whilst I'm talking about this, can I give a little shout out, because we've got a new a new category in our awards this year, which is going to be the Frame Innovation in Sport. It's all about campaign, event or innovation. Um, I think people look at it and say, oh, that's too difficult. I don't have that. So I'm just giving a wee shout. If you've know if you done anything and um, brought something new to the, to the door of girls sport, put it into the innovation because I'm looking for people to nominate it. But well, there'll be activities happening across Scotland, and clubs, hubs, and schools can get involved by planning an activity or event on the day. So take a look um, at last year's social media for Active Girls um, Day. And um, you can register and uh, they will help track your activity. So locking on this week, I'm going to talk about it a bit more um, mm-hmm. with your involvement in the Women's Advisory Board. But finally, uh, we're going to just say that Judy Murray is off to Ipswich in October for a gala evening celebrating leaders in sport and business, which I think is a fab idea if we could bring them together, particularly where women are concerned. Um, we may be able to break down some of the barriers and get some more investment. So the the two foundations are coming together for one great evening the Judy Murray Foundation and the Lena Foundation, um, and also just announced that Judy will be our special guest on Yay. the 8th of November um, and she's always great to chat to. She's always got something to talk about. I think we want to dig down dig down deep into this third son. Uh, <laughs> that was very funny. That was very good and she's always good for a laugh as yeah. well. So just finally to finish up and saying, you know, if you've got someone you want to nominate for the Swiss Awards, voting will close on the 7th of October. That's soon, Maureen? That is pretty soon. So I was going to say get your pen and pencil out, but you can't send that via the email unless you photograph it and send it yep. to me. Um, but um, yes, yeah, 7th October, plenty of time for us to get organised after that. So thank you, Marco. I'm um, looking forward to delving deep into the Margaret McQuaid um, history in more than one um, after some ad breaks. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local Plumbase? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to Plumbase. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range, available in the Plumbase Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch.
1: At Motorpoint, we put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low-mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning-fast service and same-day drive-away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. If you were persuaded by Lloyd's or the Halifax or any other bank to move your savings into a Stocks and Shares ISA or Unit Trust, which then ended up losing money, it's time to contact Goodwin Barrett. Text GOOD to seven. Goodwin Barrett have already helped thousands of customers recover millions of pounds. Text GOOD to 6677 now. Goodwin Barrett. You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint, and if unsuccessful, you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman.
0: Love music. Live sport. Let's hear it for the girls with Maury McGonigal and special guests on
1: Rock Sport Radio.
0: So welcome back to Rocksport Radio and Let's Hear It for the Girls. And now we're in for a rare treat because I'm going to be speaking to Marga McQuaig and as I said before she's a writer, a filmmaker, a mother, a grandmother. And I think there's um, some more um what do they say? Strings to you both in that as well, so we're that's quite a lot to be getting on with, deep huh? <laughs> <laughs> But before we do that, just let me say that you know we are really keen to cover what's happening in women in sport in Scotland. So if you've got an event, if you've got a result, if you've got a campaign, whatever you've got, if you don't tell us, we can't cover it. So please get in touch with us through our social media pages: the Twitters um, at Rock Sport DAB through the Facebook Rock Sport Radio, and just mention it's for Let's Hear It for the Girls. So, Margot, where will we start?
1: Well, I guess at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go that far back? Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's that's where it does start in terms of my love for sport. Yeah, I was going to ask you where did this all come from. So, um I was born into a sport mad family. Um we I mean I went to my first football match when I was 4 years old. So, Good grief. Um, Mum, dad, five kids, seven of us would go along to Celtic Park. It was a huge event, um, you know, all the family, mum's brothers, cousins, neighbours. Would y- it be affordable then? I mean, because that's a big number to take with your seven. Um, Think if you. Seven. Think of you taking
0: seven nowadays. You'd be looking at what.
1: Well, listen, I'll, I'll tell you to tell everybody at Celtic to, to keep their ears um, closed at this bit, but in those days you could just lift people <laughs> over. <laughs> so, so, like, we genuinely did get lifted over the turnstiles. So of my course. dad had, like, a season ticket. I think he was, like, really early in getting a season ticket from the main stand. Um, and then we would just all pile in. And it was just the whole day, you know, like, you built up to the day, you went to the game, and then you came back and we had, like, a certain dinner. And, you know, like, you watched... You know, you watch more sport on the telly and we just watch sport all the time as a family. I was going to say, and as a family,
0: it's great to do that together because I don't think a lot of families, well, A, I don't think they can afford to go to football. But I think if you're following a big team like Rangers or Celtic, there's not that much more room.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a really, really hard thing to do nowadays to take seven people onto the football. But in those days, um, I think sport was culturally different in people's lives because um, there were only a few channels on the telly so, you know, what you did in your leisure time was probably revolved around sport a lot more than it does now so, I mean, we would be, like, glued to the telly for the athletics glued for the gymnastics you know, glued for the telly for the snooker glued to the telly for everything that was sport you know, it was a real family event and and, um, it, it just kind of, like, it was part and parcel of who I am. And I always think that when I think about sport, I don't necessarily just think about the events or the or the actual process of the sport. I think about the sort of wider social, historical, you know, emotional, physical kind of experiences that go alongside that. I suppose one
0: of the differences nowadays is that there are so many big events coming to Glasgow that you, they're on your doorstep, you can go and see them. But I think perhaps... You know, when you're talking about going to football, all those events were happening elsewhere at that time. So that, that makes it kind of different now for people being able to experience the different sports. But um, and I think that's great because obviously you grew up in Glasgow and you still live there. Um but I was interested and I did my homework because I see so often you post about Rathlin um, Island. So that was a big part of your growing up as well. What's the kind of
1: background to that? So Rathlin Island, um, just to explain for those of you that don't know, is a little island. Um, it's the only habited island in the north of Ireland. So it's just off the northeast coast. Tiny little island. It's um no more than a mile wide at any point seven miles long it's very very small it's got like one little co-op shop um, you know one pub um, Very well I say a very small population it's got 150 people when we were young it was like 70 Uh, so my dad was born there So we, uh, the whole family used to go there every summer, you know, pile all of us into the car. Seven in a car, you wouldn't do that nowadays. (laughs) Um, And it was fantastic. Um, You know, there was no electricity, no running water. You know, we just made our own fun, um, played a lot of sports, played tennis, played football. You know, we just had an an amazing time and it's always been part of my heart. And so I um, I actually built a house there about six years ago uh, on farmland where my dad was born. So... Really nice. And is that a place where the family go back to now quite a lot? Do your family still
0: follow yeah, you? Yeah, you go yeah, for it. yeah. We're always
1: there. um you know, my house is never empty. <laughs> Let's just say I don't I don't often have a quiet spell when I I'm go to I wasn't sure if that was gritty teeth or not. <laughs> no, it's lovely. I mean, everybody in the family absolutely adores the place. We all have the same emotional connection. Really I can't lovely. imagine what it would be like to be living in a place
0: where there's only 150 people. I mean, you literally must know everyone on the island, and if yeah. you go to the
1: pub, it's like. Yeah, but that's the beautiful thing about it because it's really got such a strong sense of community. Um, and when I'm there in the summer, I volunteer in the little shop, which is great because it means I get to see everyone, I get all the gossip, all the news, and it's just a lovely, lovely place for kids to grow up. And whilst my kids were city kids, um, because they spent quite a lot of time on Mathlin, they've developed such strong relationships with the kids there as well. So it's just lovely, and I just know that my grandchildren and my great Grandchildren will all go on to have a relationship with the island too. And how do the islanders, what do they do in terms of work? How do they get their income in? So, some people, now that there's a faster ferry service and a more regular ferry service, some people actually commute to the mainland. Um, other people work um, in the pub, in the post office, in the shop. Um, there's a the manor house uh, hotel, so people work in there. Um, farming, fishing. Um oh things like that. Art was an art shop. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's people just get by. I mean I think about me and I I got to
0: away to visit my friend quite often, but I mean that's huge in comparison. Oh absolutely. Isn't it? You yeah, know, yeah I'm yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. I'm driving I'm along this. these roads
1: thinking, gosh, there's nobody <laughs> about I mean if you think about Lewis in comparison to Rathlin, it's like a country in comparison to Rathlin, really.
0: <laughs> right now. My first memory of you is at um, Celtic Football Club.
1: Mm-hmm. Um when you were working in the museum but, but what did you do some was that your first job? What what was your first um, job? so well I, my first job was actually at Celtic but not in that job. Um I worked at Celtic when I was at uni, so I was worked part time there. I worked in accounts doing the um, the season ticket renewals. It was fun actually, and mm-hmm. um, so I did that. Um, and then um, when I was finished my degree, I actually wrote to Celtic and, and pitched the idea of building a purpose-built museum and and sort of properly collating the history and you know probably creating an inventory of everything they've got. So. To my surprise, they said, okay. (laughs) It wasn't quite as simple as that. I mean, I did uh, spend a lot of time creating a business plan and visiting a lot of other museums in Liverpool and Ajax, Manchester United, you know, I did a lot of homework. And was this something you'd studied at university? Well, I studied my first degree was history and politics. Ah. Um, and my undergraduate thesis was on the history of women's football in Scotland and obviously being a football fan and a Celtic fan, you know, I just really wanted to, other people to enjoy the, the club's cultural history as well, because I always think like, you know you, you concentrate a lot on results and, and winning trophies and stuff, but actually the real stories and in the people that surround a football club or any kind of sports and their experiences and and you
0: found f- some, some crackers, didn't <laughs> you? Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean it was
1: amazing, it was an amazing experience um, and I did that for a number of years until um, the club started um, their own in-house media, which was very, very early. Then I mean, we we were doing live um, webcasts um, before anybody else was, you know, doing sort of full matches online. But I mean, it was terrible buffering and stuff. It must have been a nightmare to watch. Whereas we were thinking, oh, it's Dial all on the internet. The game's on. I know. God. So um, I I sort of gradually went over to that side. Of the club and left the museum and, and became a producer in uh, the actual media content there, which which was great.
0: Um, because I'm fascinated at the different <clears throat> jobs you have, you know, in trying to think how on earth did you learn them all, you know, and and learn what to do. Because they, so you went from Celtic, um, from their museum, you went over to their
1: communications? Uh, so it was the media department, the media, um, it uh-huh. was just new. I mean I've always been really fortunate Maureen in, in like the majority of jobs that I've done I've gone in at the very beginning of something so it's not like um I've had to go in and, and try and pick up and learn what someone else has been doing, you know I created the museum, I went into the media department you know it was just a bunch of us who didn't have a clue about what we were doing but we were determined to find our way. That's you know, the it's time to be involved in something isn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. and then when I went from Celtic TV to Satanta of sports who took over Celtic TV, so then that's a new channel that was being created. So we're at the beginning of new program making. So, and then I went to um, MNE a little bit later, and that was at the very beginning of the BBC Alaba channel. So it was again at the beginning, so I was creating what content we would be producing for BBC Alaba's sport output. So I've always been really lucky actually that I get to kind of shape things in, in a way that. Um, You know, without too much kind of, um, you know, perception that's already there as to how things should be done. Yeah, you're not following someone's
0: footsteps and and then having to change something and justify it. You're creating something, see if it works and if it does good and if it doesn't, go into something different. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So before we really go into what you're doing at the moment in your filmmaking. Um, tell us a wee bit more about your writings, because where do you get your inspiration from? Any, you know, I always hear people interviewing writers and they want to know, what do you do? Do you lock yourself away in a room or do you get up in the middle of the night? Or, you know, can you do a sort of nine till five, you know, I'm writing today? How does it all
1: work for you? Um, well, given I am so busy, I don't know how I manage to do <laughs> any of that. I honestly don't. But I think for me, writing is... A lot of people maybe like go to the pub or go to the cinema, or you know, like they when they have downtime from their work, they have you know different social activities that they do. My my sort of preferred downtime is writing. That's where I get my. That's where I recuperate and get my strength, and um, you know can just draw a breath. Mm -hmm. I, um, You know, Saturdays and Sundays for some people are about, like, chilling out. Well, if I've got spare time, I just want to write. That helps you to chill? Absolutely. It's absolutely what helps me relax. And um, and there's nothing like the feeling of um, being caught up in something that you're writing and and looking at the clock and realising that, you know, six hours have passed and you haven't moved because you've been in that zone. So um, I'm currently writing my third novel, um, and my second novel has, is away with the publishers just now. So. Oh, wow, so the first I one don't is, know what they are going to say about it. <laughs> the first one is The, bird that the Birds That Never, Never Flay. Um, so where do you get your inspiration for your subject matter? Uh, well, The Birds That Never Flea, um actually features a glass Sweden, um Virgin Mary. So, yeah, you might think, oh, my goodness, where <laughs> did she get that? But um, I always remember um, when my kids were little, they went through this stage of of calling themselves Mary and Joseph because my daughter would say, you know the Virgin Mary comes to visit us at night? And I was like, okay, yeah, you, just keep, you just keep talking. But then it kind of struck me like, um, I mean, I've been brought up a Catholic and the whole, um, you know, we're supposed to believe in things like transubstantiation and, you know, these higher beings. And I thought, well... Why would it be, if you believe in all that, why would it be strange for the Virgin Mary just to walk into your life? (laughs) I mean, in theory, it shouldn't actually be something that you would find strange. So anyway, that uh, little uh, nugget was the kernel of a a, a much bigger story. And that is funny where that comes from, isn't it? Yeah. And can we get an insight into novel two or do we have to wait? So The Road um, it's I, I kind of see it as a... Um, A kind of modern-day sunset song, uh, which seems like a big sweeping statement, and I'm not claiming it's as good a sunset song, but it's about siblings and grief and, you know, how families react to secrets and, and, you know, how they deal with, um, you know, disasters within their little communities, and it's a twin brother and a twin sister, and her extremely close on one hand, but on the other hand, they're both hiding secrets from each other in their lives, and it kind of all comes to a head. You know, often when people are in acting roles, they ask them, how can you, you know,
0: take that away and go home and be normal can you leave your characters behind um, um, do they impact in you through the day, I think, I think the when
1: you're in the zone with them they're with you all the time they're kind of like 24-7 you know you're kind of thinking about them you're you know you're watching people's mannerisms or you're seeing somebody walking down the street and you're kind of thinking oh that's a bit like so and so would do Or so you're kind of in the <laughs> they head. become real they do they become very yeah. real um, and you kind of think about what they would be doing but I have to say that after um, the birds, the birds that never flew was published, I think overnight, that was it. You know, they they left me. You know, I I thought, right, that's it. You you've got your new life now. Fine, you go and enjoy it. Um, so that's nice that you do get that separation. You know, you've got a softness for them, but you do move on because you need to write more. You need to empty that space in your head. Oh, grief, I've got so much space in my head. that needs emptied.
0: So currently you write, you produce, you direct documentary films and you've won, and probably this needs to be updated, the Royal Television Society Scotland Awards in 2015 with your Jock Steen documentary, uh, Jim Baxter 216. And Tommy Burns 219. And then you also did the Steel Men, which uh, I was uh, privy to see um, when it was uh, launched, which was fabulous. That was a lovely film. I really, really liked that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I mean, although Motherwell didn't win the cup that year. Um, there was something really magical about that whole moment, and the fact that it's set against the you know the steel industry collapsing in the town, and the way the town rallied behind the team because you know there was something and there was something about that magical journey that the team were going on, which provided the the community with a little bit of hope. I mean, yeah. I don't want to over exaggerate that because it didn't make up for the fact that they were losing their jobs, but there was something really really powerful about that town at that time. And and I think in those days, football was part of social history or, or is part of social
0: history Absolutely, now. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, being from Clive Bank and the Clive Bank team as well, it's, they're all wrapped together. Mm-hmm. Slightly different now, but I think that's so much money involved Um, but I always love the fact that when you launch your documentaries you bring people along and they have a chat later and the one that really really got me of course was the Rose Riley one, it was just amazing And, and although we're sitting here as two women who are involved in sport I think there were many people outside that actually found that as inspiring as people who knew all about Rose. Um, tell me how this came about in the first instance. Um,
1: the Rose Riley story was a story that I've always wanted to tell. Um, I, I remember her even when I was a little girl, like being on the front page of, of the newspapers, and... Um, Probably not the most flattering stories. It was probably more kind of, you know, Rose in her bikini, like Rose, Italian star, and stuff. But it it just really fascinated me that there was this woman who played football because where I grew up, there wasn't you know there wasn't a lot of women's football around there weren't there weren't any opportunities so she always kind of stuck with me and I always heard little bits and pieces and and even when I was doing my undergrad thesis um on the history of women's football then obviously she became quite a prominent figure in that because she has achieved so much so I was determined that in some capacity I would tell this story but it took me a long time to persuade Rose <laughs> I could imagine yeah I don't know yes. if you, you heard her at the at the premiere when she was saying a defter for like two years <laughs> so like yeah she did Rose um because she's not that kind of person. She did what she did and, um, you know, she she doesn't really want to shout about it. But I managed to not convince her because it's not trying to convince her because it's true. But, you know, it was important for her to realise that actually she's an inspirational figure to women and girls. Not not because she was a footballer, but because she was a woman who overcame all these barriers. She was determined to it achieve... They were put in her place by... Constantly, daily, yeah. you know, even yeah. at school, she got the belt every yes. day because she played yeah. football. I mean, it was horrendous, you know. She got died by Scotland, you know. She had to go to Italy to, um, you know, to make her mark, and because there just weren't the opportunities here in Scotland. And she achieved so much, and so when she finally agreed to do the film, it was just amazing. And and I think, um, yeah, I think it turned out quite well. But I think strangely enough, the timing was perfect because it came and World Cup year. Yes,
0: because
1: I, I, you know, I have, I have time. I know it was really good actually Uh because I I have tried to pitch the film a few. I think that was the fourth time I had pitched it Um, and the commissioners did say well actually it probably was better timing now and I have to agree with them because you know it tied in with the World Cup her being the the World Cup winner from Scotland because we don't have any more and it was nice to be able to celebrate that with her as well I I mean I think if she had been born a man we would have been absolutely, knowing her every
0: move, she would be sitting in comfort and uh, yeah. called out to give her opinion and so many other things. And it just so happens that uh, as a woman in football, um, achieving what she did, it literally went unnoticed.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, I think because I've been embedded in her story for such a long time, I kind of think, oh, people know Rose's story. But I was so surprised by the amount of people that had no idea who Rose Reilly was. And I hope the film has done a lot to rectify that because her, her, her achievements deserve to be celebrated. She's a Scottish national hero. Mm-hmm. In the back of my mind, and
0: you might be able to tell me if this is true or not, but I do recall a documentary on Rose when she was
1: out in Italy many, many years ago. Is that right? Yeah, it was um, It was between her and um, another girl, Kerry, Kerry Davis, um, who were both playing in... Um, Um, it was a a BBC network programme so it was a kind of shared half hour documentary between the two of them it was called Home and Away and they did some filming with them like in Italy and back here um, but yeah, so that that was kind of remember there was a little flurry in the nineteen eighties of interest, and it was more of kind of novelty value than yeah.
0: actually a documentary. Absolutely, looking at her skill and what she's achieved and what she'd overcome. Yeah, it was really the kind of novelty factor. Well, there's a girl from Scotland playing in um, Italy, and look what she's she's done. But then she, you know, she 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 married.
1: Yeah,
0: um, her, I think Norbert was it
1: Norberto. His, Norberto was his Surgeon, the doctor. Um, he was a
0: doctor. Uh, yeah, he was his cardiac surgeon. So. I did see it. I thought it was fabulous. Oh, thank and you. Rose is such a character, so tell me what it was like. Because you travelled around with her, you actually took her
1: back to Italy, to, to where she had such success, <laughs> yes. and that was funny. I think that was such an important part of the story for me, because um, Rose was only sort of 17, 18, when she went out to Italy, and it was a different time. You know, there wasn't Google, there was no phones. She didn't even have a phone at home. But well, she spoke about that, which was amazing. You yeah. forget these things. She couldn't speak a word of the language. <sighs> um, so I. Took Rose and her daughter who's around about the same age that Rose was when she left because I thought it was important for that relationship to sort of experience the real Rose. You know what Rose- I mean Valentina, her daughter, knows that she went off and played for Italy and was brilliant and is really respected but actually being out there in Italy and seeing like Rose is treated like a legend in Italy. It was absolutely beautiful to see like you know like she'd just click her fingers and like everybody at the San Zero are like dropping like, come on in do what you want oh my goodness um, you know like it's really hard to get access in there but and her daughter would probably not be able to understand
0: the level of what because I don't suppose Rose would even nah. say uh, you play you it know, down I did this <laughs> yeah
1: exactly you know yeah
0: yes.
1: but you know they were like um, yeah you want to stand on the pitch no problem <laughs> anything for Rose that's all we kept hearing anything for oh Rose oh my goodness and it was just incredible and then we took her back to the stadium where she actually won the World Cup and kind of walked through that, and it was lovely because Rose was so emotional. I was going to say it was emotional, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really, really emotional for her, and um, you know, a lot of that we don't see a lot of that, like really, you know, because she was really upset at times, and we don't see a lot of that on screen. But um, she she absolutely loved being back because it's the first time she'd been back since she left Italy, like over twenty years ago. And I think everyone in the cinema. Was
0: quite emotional. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of And tears. the only one that was like, kind of holding it together was Rose herself. She was quite matter of
1: fact, wasn't yeah, she? Although she did confess to, like, when she went home and watched it on her own, to, yeah. to being quite upset. She was holding it together for in the cinema and stuff. So. There was so much to go back
0: in, as you say, it, it wasn't just the fact that she achieved at football. She fought all her way from primary yeah. school, and some of the stories, they're really, really. I mean, There's a book there, Margot definitely isn't
1: there. (laughs) There's there's, there's me giving (laughs) you a little. Tell me, what were your best moments when you were with Rose? Um, I think was meeting somebody who is just genuinely real. You know, Rose is a real person, and her passion and her drive and her determination are just awe inspiring. Really, you know, you kind of you have to be that certain something um to be someone and it's hard to sort of quantify what these elements are but i look at rose and i just think that's it that that's what you have to be you have to be that person so going to italy with her was magical although i have to say um she made me walk like in venice Which was horrendous. (laughs) Horrendous. Why? (laughs) Well, we we got to Venice because we were staying in um, uh, Yeselow, which is where she won the World Cup, which is only about 15 minutes from Venice, so she was saying, like, we've got to go to Venice. I'm not, you're not coming to Italy and not going to Venice. So I was kind of like, I've got so much work to do, Rose, and she insisted, like, she is quite bossy, so she insisted the whole crew went to Venice. So we kind of got there, and I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. So the young ones kind of split off, and uh, Rose and I, the old ones, kind of, like, went our way, and she said you have to go to st mark's and i was like is it a long walk rose and she's like nah it's just round a corner oh my god (laughs) where is this corner yeah i mean i've got a day so i can't really walk very far but um so like we were walking and walking and walking and walk every time you turn down a corner she's like it's the next corner it's the next corner it's the next corner and so we eventually got there and she's like Well, what do you think and i was like Is this it? Too tired? Is this it? I was like, I just need to go. So we got a boat back. Uh And I was like, we could have got a boat here. And she's like, yeah, but I wanted to have the experience. I was like, Rose, I could kill you. (laughs) If I didn't love you so much, I would kill you. So that's one of your best moments. Yeah, oh my goodness. I'll never forget that. That's for sure. No, it was just great because she's such an open and honest person. Yeah. And she's so caring. I mean, she was always wondering how, you know, the crew were and making sure everybody was okay and just a lovely, lovely person. Mm. And... um, I'm really honoured to have told her story, and I'm also really, really happy that she loved it so much. That yeah. that meant the world because it's really nerve wracking when you have these premieres and you know having somebody in the cinema with you who's the subject martyr. I mean, I get so nervous about it. Yes, because normally you're looking back at someone's uh-huh. life. Yeah,
0: was that the first that the, the your
1: subject was actually there afterwards? You know, for a biopic. Yeah. Uh-huh, I mean, yeah. obviously I did Jim Baxter and Jimmy Johnson and Jock Stein yeah. and Tommy Burns, and those were all emotional journeys as well because their families were there yes. in the cinema but it's, you know, Rose was sort of sitting there and it was about her and she's such a private person um, yes, you know, even her family who were there and watched the film didn't know half of the things that she'd done, they were just completely overawed and her twin sister said afterwards, I really really did not appreciate just what Rose went through to get what she did
0: I th- I think that definitely came through, I think yeah. there's no doubt about it so one for the challenge you're currently um, working in another documentary. I am, uh-huh. I am. This is the woman that never sleeps. So she's not <laughs> right. She's working in a documentary. And the subject matter this time is Alina Baltacha, yeah. a tennis player. And I believe you've had a lot of support from Judy Murray for this. she would be delighted to see that
1: tennis is coming into the fold. Judy Murray has been amazing. Um, Judy um, was a good friend of Elena. Obviously, they, they met when Elena was just nine years old. Judy first came across her playing in a tournament in Dunblane. and was kind of like, oh my goodness, this girl has got something. Um, they, they didn't; their past didn't really cross again until much later, you know, properly, when uh, Judy was our uh, team captain the Fed Cup, but then for Olympics and stuff. But they, they always had sort of um, their, their lives cross, and they became really, really good friends. So Judy was really helpful, and um, just. Um, helping with relationship building and stuff and introducing me to the family because it's very difficult for the family, you know, that this is their, their daughter, very their young sister. Woman, she yes. was only 30 years old 30. when she died of mm. liver cancer. And, you know, so it's really emotional making a story about her life. And I think for me, I've always admired her because, like, she's this really strong woman and, you know, she's Scottish. she're kind of like, wow, you know, a Scottish hero and we're not celebrating her. Um she always looked so powerful on the court and then I was aware that she had a, an autoimmune disease which kind of really affected her day to day but she still remarkably, you know, managed to, to go out and play tennis and train and I always thought, wow, this is just an incredible woman. And then she set up her own tennis foundation because at the very heart of her was wanting to help other young girls have access to tennis. And she's got a great story, the fact that they came from the USSR and they came to East Scotland and she couldn't speak English. I just think she she was incredible but... I think more and more, as I interview more people, I'm actually realising that she was a million times more incredible than I even thought. What a remarkable, remarkable woman, honestly. Maureen, I guarantee you that you'll watch this film and you'll want to just be a better person. Aww. I guarantee you, she was incredible. Incredible. I did have a couple of conversations with her father at one point, who worked at Scottish
0: IFA when I was there, and for all the years he'd been here, it was still a difficult listen with Sergio. Yeah, um, and he's it was, lovely. It was lovely that he'd kept that accent and kept a bit of himself. No, I think, uh, good luck. I'm looking forward to that. When, when will people be able to see that? What's the time schedule uh, for that? Well, I can't that?
1: give you the actual date, but let's say it's going to be very very soon, it's coming out in autumn, and we'll be announcing that date very soon. But late autumn, Wow. Well, so look I'm very to busy it. at it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of your work is around with uh, MG Alaba um, in terms of what they're doing in um, sport. Um, how long's that partnership been going for?
1: So um, the channel launched in 2008. Um, so it's been going since then, um, and I've been I've been involved in their sport since the very beginning. So, firstly at m TV, who um, had the contract um, to produce the sport, um, I was their sports editor and then managing director. And then for the last two years, I've been working as exec producer for Namatun TV, who now have the the contract to produce the sport. So it's been a long journey and Uh, a great journey
0: well I was going to say and and great for Scottish women in sport because they are covering a lot
1: of the sports absolutely you've done football you've done rugby Uh, what other sports there's some more sports to come so we've done curling we've done shinty so it's been fantastic and um, I think from the word go um, the channel was showing women's football way back at the very beginning in the first year of the launch and so which has meant there's been that beautiful relationship that's built with the Scottish women's national team because we were there from yes you know, like when they missed out in the playoffs in 2009 for the World Cup, we've been I'm right through. Now. I know, oh my God, it was heartbreaking. Um, so, yeah, so that, that now there's been a development with, uh, we're doing Six Nations Women's Rugby, international women's rugby, uh, we do domestic women's rugby, so there's been women's shinty, we've been following the Carlin, so Eve Muirhead's been on. So, it's been great. And I think um, I'm always hugely passionate about making sure that women's voices are represented and seen uh, on the channel. Unfortunately, the the channel execs and commissioners are absolutely 100% behind that because if they weren't behind that yeah, you know, it would be a hard job but they absolutely appreciate it and they're very proud to say that BBC Alaba is the home of women's sports so.
0: and this is one of the reasons that you were taken on to the women's advice report the Scottish uh, government's Women advice report and their report just came out this week about levelling the playing field it did um, so, and was trending on Twitter trending on Twitter <laughs> yesterday so women and girls are more likely to take up sport or exercise if there's increased reporting of top athletes social participants and events in the media now there are two or three findings, I think, and recommendations to go with them, but this one sits kind of at your door.
1: What's your thoughts there? I I, mean, I think it's absolutely pivotal. Um, you know, you, you can't uh, borrow a phrase, you can't be, but you can't see. But, you know, if, if we don't see women in sport, then we're not going to aspire to to take up sport, we're not going to aspire to want to be any part of sport. And I think the, the you know, the, the gender imbalance has been ridiculous. It's still really bad. So I think the fact that um, one of the recommendations is to, you know, take this, create a, a, a Scottish media summit and actually get all the key partners together to say, right, look, this is where we are. This is where we need to be. We need to start talking to each other. People need to start building relationships and get behind uh, get behind women in sport because, you know, this, um, this imbalance is not acceptable. You know, we have to level the playing field as is the, the name of the report. And I think given some of the great events that have happened
0: this year, we're now finding out what the viewing figures have been like for these events, so we know that there's a,
1: an audience and an appetite. Here. Absolutely, and I think one of the key things to that is um, these huge events have been on free-to-air television and I think that's something that has to continue because if you're behind a paywall, you're restricting access to people that might not normally be able to see it. So let's get more women's sport on free-to-air television and celebrate diversity.
0: So I think anyone that wants to see levelling the playing field can um, request a copy. So if you go into the Scottish Government, um, I'm sure you'll get a copy there. But Marco we have run out of time.
1: Oh dear, that was just very quick <laughs> sorry I was talking a lot and you've got a song for me so <laughs> I do yes what have you got for us so the song that um, well I know this is rock sport and it's rock so this we're in, we're saying that this is a rock song but it is quite rocky um, and it's by a band called Duran Duran but because I'm here and we're talking about some of our amazing women that we're putting on film like Rose Riley and Elena Patacha and the fact that I make sure I embrace women's voices and all the filmmaking that I do because women are so important so the song that I have chosen for us tonight is Girls on Film Thank you Michael
0: Love music Live sport Let's hear it for the girls with Maureen McGonigal and special guests on Rock Sport Radio